That expression of turning there is a reference to repentance, and it's a subject that you find throughout the Bible. Now, it's a controversial subject, and it's even one that's controversial in our camp with churches that believe right for the most part, and we would say they're of our stripe and such, and yet they take a a varying position on this doctrine of repentance. There's a, a plethora of verses on the subject, and the danger here is that that only some are used by this camp and some are used by that camp. But we want to be honest with the Scriptures, and I think we want to come up with a sane balance on this position of repentance. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, we're going to take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, where I've been reading recently, and we're covering a series here over the next several weeks on back to the basics, and we're talking about basic things, basic truths and doctrines and such, and For the next two sessions, we're going to be talking about this thing of repentance, the importance of Bible repentance. Now, I'm going to be talking specifically about repentance for salvation because there's various ways we could talk about repentance. But I I believe that people in the Old Testament and people in the New Testament always got saved the same way. And there are those who have everything kind of... uh, divided up and, and, uh, and by dispensation saying you get saved this way and that dispensation and that way and this dispensation. But I think that it's always been by faith in Christ. And I think the first mention of the, the atonement of Christ way back in Genesis uh, on throughout the Bible starts with this, this ribbon, this, this red ribbon, this river of blood that flows from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And that salvation, no matter where it is, what time period, has always been by placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on Calvary's cross. So with that as a backdrop, we go to an Old Testament passage here, and we begin in chapter 3 and verse number 17. It says, Son of man, and that's God talking to Ezekiel, just the title God had given to him, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require thine hand. Yet, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not. Note those words. He turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. That expression of turning there is a reference to repentance, and it's a subject that you find throughout the Bible. Now, it's a controversial subject, and it's even one that's controversial in our camp with churches that believe right for the most part, and we would say they're of our stripe and such, and yet they take a a varying position on this doctrine of repentance. There's a, a plethora of verses on the subject, and the danger here is that, that only some are used by this camp and some are used by that camp. 
but we want to be honest with the Scriptures. And I think we want to come up with a sane balance on this position of repentance. Now, let's read it again here. He's talking to Ezekiel personally in verse number 18. He says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou, Ezekiel, givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man, notice these words, shall die in his iniquity. It's talking about dying lost. And of course, the wages of sin is death or hell. So that, that man is going to die in his iniquity and go to, go to a Christless eternity or hell. But notice the end of the verse says, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Another whole subject, but it speaks of a responsibility that we have as God's people to tell the unsaved of their need of Christ. Now notice verse 19. Yet, if thou warn the wicked... And he turn not. Notice there's that repentance. He's been warned, but he turns not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity. Same outcome. But thou hast delivered thine soul. In other words, you've done what you should. Now, I'm, I'm aware of the context of this passage, but there's a principle here that I don't want us to miss. And it's, it's this business of repentance or the need of, of turning. Is repentance, number one, necessary for salvation? That's our first question. And, and secondly, what is Bible repentance? We have to define our terms, don't we? We could say, well, yeah, it's necessary. But what is it? What is it? There's a couple of school of thoughts. And the first one says, definitely, repentance is necessary for salvation. And then there's the other school of thought that says, no, it couldn't be necessary for salvation or it would become a work. It, we've added works now to salvation. And we don't believe that salvation is, is by works. We know it's of grace. It's not of works, in fact, lest any man should boast. So which is it? Well, again, we want to use the Bible verses. Uh, though some will ignore them to make a point, we want to look at all of them over the next couple of weeks here. Now, let me give an example of, of not using the whole Word of God. And if you only use parts of it, trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. For example, the book of John. Did you know that the book of John, the gospel of John, doesn't mention the virgin birth of Christ? And so if we go to just that, and, and quite often we just hand out John Romans, and, and, uh, and it's an important book, but it doesn't mention the virgin birth of Christ. Does that mean that it's not true? The virgin birth of Christ is not a Bible doctrine? Uh, certainly not. We know that it's a Bible doctrine. And in the same way, the book of John does not mention the doctrine of repentance, at least by name. Although the principle is definitely found in there, but because it doesn't mention it, is it something to be ignored? Well, no, we cannot isolate any particular passage from the Word of God. Plus, in the book of John, chapter 10 and verse number 27, Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice that last part, and they follow me. That speaks of somebody who has come to grips, come to terms with repentance, and the fruit of repentance, that, that turning and following Christ. It's the nature of a sheep to follow. Somebody who's been truly saved should follow the Lord, follow His Word. It's the nature of a goat to butt heads, isn't it? And the goat is a picture of the unsaved person. So if we've been truly saved, Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, why would not a person endorse or wrap their arms around or embrace this doctrine of repentance? Well, number one, we've said already, because they feel that it makes salvation a work. And we're going to show you that it really doesn't. But there's an underlying reason, 
and I think it ties in with what I would call competitive soul winning. Competitive soul winning. Some of you are familiar with that. Where, where it's almost become a competitive thing because you're considered spiritual if, if you can reach more people and, and, and get them to pray a prayer and it becomes a numbers thing. And that's really a sad, sad way to play with somebody's eternity-bound soul. But, but the more professions you get, the more perhaps spiritual you are. And it's a numbers game. And, and so if you bring repentance into the equation, it cuts down on the numbers and the statistics. And folks, that's not what leading people to Christ is all about, is it? Not at all. We have to be careful with their soul. Now, what did Jesus Christ preach? And how important is repentance? Well, we find in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Christ said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So whatever this thing of repentance is, and we'll define it before we're done, but except you do it, except you repent, except you practice that at the time of salvation, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus Christ preached repentance. Peter, the apostle, preached repentance. In Acts 3.19, 3, he said, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Notice there's a tie with conversion or being born again or being saved. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Peter preached it. What about Paul? Well, Paul preached repentance. In Acts 17.30 he mentioned that God now commandeth all men everywhere to what? To repent. To, to repent. Furthermore, in Acts 26 and verse number 20, uh, Paul talked of showing that they should repent Notice, and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. He says some pretty neat things here. He, he says, should repent and turn to God, which speaks of turning away from something to God, which is what we're talking about here. And he says, do works meet for repentance. Now, by that, he doesn't speak of working our way to heaven, but having this fruit that follows, that is meet or fit is really the word that it means there, uh, or evidence of repentance. Really a sign or an indication that they have been saved. So to just preach uh, faith in Jesus or to just preach uh, belief is not enough. And there are many in our crowd, many in our camp, that try and bypass repentance and just talk about placing their faith in Christ. Just believing. They say, all you got to do is, is believe. Well, the Bible tells me that the devils believe in Christ, but they're not saved. Actually, we need both faith and repentance. We find them together a number of times in the Bible. In Acts 20 and verse 21, it speaks of testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. In other words, everybody, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I think they're inseparable graces. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking of, of one and the same, but basically a penitent and an obedient faith. And I, I don't think you can separate them. I call them often the Siamese twins of salvation that cannot be cut apart. Repentance and faith. Though they're different, and they are, and we'll talk more about that another time. Though they are different, they are connected, and they affect each other. When Jesus Christ was rebuking the chief priests and the elders... He had this to say to them in Matthew 21 and verse 32. He said, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, notice, repented not afterward, that ye might 
believe him. He's talking about the gospel that John the Baptist preached. And the publicans and the harlots embraced it, turning from sin or changing their, their mind or their attitude about their sin and getting saved. The chief priests and the elders did not. He says, and ye, when ye had seen it, notice, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. And so we find out they're tied together and they affect each other. And we even talked about this recently in our series in 1 Thessalonians. Back in chapter 1 and in verse number 9, we saw this passage. It says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's speaking there of repentance without using the word. A turning from idols, we'll be talking about that a little bit, to God. And that's what salvation is. It is a turning. Now, there are those who will say, well, aren't you teaching some kind of a, of a lordship salvation? When you teach repentance, when you preach repentance, when you endorse repentance, aren't you teaching a lordship salvation when you promote it? Well, again, that would depend on what you mean by lordship salvation. We have got to define our terms. There are some pretty absurd definitions of lordship salvation. There are some who teach that uh, it's, it's uh, the fact that you'll never sin again. That's ridiculous. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? The truth is not in us. It, it, lordship salvation is not saying you'll never sin again. Or maybe uh, there are those who believe that you have to yield 100% in every area before you can get saved. You have to repent of every, every last thing. That definitely works. <laughs> that is not what we believe. And so if you, if you say that that's what we believe with work salvation, then I don't believe in lordship salvation. Now, let me just say that salvation definitely requires a change of masters. If we're talking about that as far as lordship salvation, I believe that. Before you're saved, guess who's the master of your life? You are. I was. We are. So what are we saying when we speak of a change of masters? Well, we're saying at, at salvation, what you're doing is taking self off that little throne of your life. And, and that idol of you or that God of you has to come down. And Christ is enthroned. And we sing it, King of my life. I crown thee now. There is a change of masters. And we make no bones about that. We're under new management. At least we should be, right? If we are truly born again, we're under new management. And Christ again said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. How do we follow them? We follow him by following this book. And that's really the evidence of somebody who's been truly saved. Now, with easy believism, and I think we understand what we mean by that, with easy believism, a no-repentance gospel, the prayer uh, of the sinner's prayer, we'd call it, is counted as a conversion. It's just automatically, okay, he prayed, so he's been converted. Well, with God and with the Bible, let me just say that the change of masters is what denotes a true conversion. Has there been a change of masters in the life of that person? Now, I'm not saying when we enthrone Christ, you know, he calls the shots from that point on, and we never grab the steering wheel back. Have you ever grabbed the steering wheel back? I have. It's like, get your hands off that thing. You're, you're making a mess. And quite often as we're about to go in to the ditch or over the cliff, we hand him the steering wheel back. I've taken the steering wheel back. And I've made a mess. So putting Christ on that throne doesn't mean we never take the, the, the steering wheel back, nor does it mean that we never get in the flesh. 
there are a number of saints in the Bible after salvation that got in the flesh. Peter got in the flesh when he denied the Lord, didn't he? And even when he pulled himself aside from the Gentiles in, in Galatians 2, he got in the flesh. I mean, this is the greatest Christian around at that time. But he took the steering wheel back more than one time. Paul even got in the flesh at times. Now, that doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It's another whole doctrine, but we have to mention it here. You can't lose your salvation. If you have a salvation that you have to work to, to keep, then it's a work salvation, isn't it? But it's a grace. And so you don't lose your salvation when you mess up. But I'll say it again. A sinner's prayer doesn't necessarily equal a conversion. And you go, that's basic, Pastor. I know, but a lot of, a lot of Christians and a lot of, of folks in churches like this don't know that. To them, they got somebody to pray a sinner's prayer, and they're automatically assuming that that person now is converted. You know, I preached years ago in the old building on, on uh, repentance, and it was a Sunday morning. We had some fellows there. They're actually missionaries, and they're, they're passing through, and they're going to a certain place to, to do some work, and they were of our stripe. But they really believed in this, this easy believism thing, and I didn't know it. Really, this easy prayerism thing. Just get the person to pray a prayer. I saw them sitting out there, and I, I, I knew they were the brethren, but I was wondering what was wrong. <laughs> you could see it on their faces as I was preaching on repentance, and, and they became flush and grim-looking. And, you know, and, and uh, I'm going, what's the deal here? And I got a cold handshake afterwards. And I didn't know this, unbeknownst to me, they went through our community here that Sunday afternoon and knocked all kinds of doors and got various people to pray sinners' prayers and make uh, professions of faith and, and, and brought the cards back and gave them to somebody to give to me with a note that said, well, well, we led these people to Christ this afternoon and they're saved now and you can follow up on them, that sort of thing. So we did. I've never seen such cold responses at the door in my life. Folks that shut the door didn't even want to talk to us and, and I'm going, okay, here's the fruit of a no repentance, easy believism, easy prayerism gospel is now you've got some folks who not only have one step to getting saved, but they have two steps to get unsaved and then get saved again because somebody is in that numbers thing. God help us, folks. It's not about statistics and, and, uh, and, and check marks on our, our gospel gun and notches and such where we say, well, I led all these folks to the Lord. Let's be thorough with these eternity-bound souls and let's deal with them carefully. They need to hear repentance. Now, the reason that we don't resort to that easy believism thing or, 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 or try and get the statistics or the numbers is because we want genuine professions of faith. And that's another reason we don't rush folks into the baptistry. And, and there are those who wonder about this. It's like, well, pastor in the Bible, you know, they, they baptized them right away. Well, you've got to understand something. Those were different days, and they didn't always rush them into the baptistry. In fact, John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 8, Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, let's see some evidence of salvation. Let's see some fruit here. And, and the bottom line is we live in a different day and age. It's, it's kind of uh, cool now to get a, you know, a tattoo about the Lord or, or it's in vogue to, uh, to, to pray on the 50-yard line after the football game or, or to skip church on Sunday and go there and hold the John 3.16 banner over the goalposts. And, you know, it, it's a different day and age. If they got baptized in that day and age, I'm telling you, it meant reproach. So Lordship salvation 
does not mean flawless discipleship. We've never believed that. But it does mean a change of mind, and it does mean a change of masters, and quite often the whole lordship salvation tag can be a decoy. It can be a straw man and and basically an excuse to boost the numbers. Now, I want to add here that there are extremes as far as making salvation too hard or taking this repentance thing to an extreme. And, and, and you can get kind of engulfed in, in like Puritan doctrine to the extent to where uh, you, you get so tough on salvation that, and, and so tough on professions of faith that any carnal behavior means that person didn't get saved. I remember somebody years ago in the old, in the old church building in the pulpit saying there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. And I heard that at the time and thought, hey, that's good. I might have even repeated that. But with some time to think about it, I went, uh, no such thing as a carnal Christian. I've seen those who make that statement uh, behave pretty carnally. (laughs) And let me add, I've seen a lot of Christians act carnal. I've acted carnal. What is worse, honestly, to have some Christian engulfed in self-righteousness and pride and, and hypocrisy or some Christian struggling with tobacco over here? Really, I know what I'd rather deal with, wouldn't you? And I know I've been carnal. And I know you've been carnal. That doesn't mean you're not saved. Fact is, the Bible even addresses this. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. These are folks that have been saved a while, but they're really acting immature like babes. And they were people who were saved. There's no arguing that because he calls them brethren. You say, oh, they were fellow Jews. No, no, these were Gentiles. Paul says, you're brethren, you're saved. But he said, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. What's that make them? Carnal Christians. There's such thing as carnal Christians. Now, to make Christ the Lord of your life in every single area is impossible. That's works. There's no question about that. It's a dangerous doctrine. And it, it causes us to rest in our performance instead of the finished work of Christ. We're always looking at our performance and we're, we're, we're resting in that. And if we're doing good, woo-hoo. If we're doing bad, it's like, oh boy. So we're resting in our performance instead of the, the merit of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. Dangerous doctrine. And yet, true salvation will change every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're familiar with that verse? If we are truly saved, we will be different. There will be a change. And yet, Paul added this in Romans. Romans 7, verse 18. He said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I I just, I can't do it. You ever feel that way? So here's the Bible, and it says, if we're in Christ, if we've truly gotten saved, if that repentance and faith has really been practiced at salvation, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And yet, there will be that struggle afterwards. And even the great apostle Paul, that great Christian, said that, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
And then he said, for to will is present with me. Can you relate to that? I want to do right. I want to do right. To will is present with me. He said, but how to perform that which is good? I find not. He had that old flesh battling him. And we have our flesh battling with us. So faith needs to be in Christ, not in our performance. Not in our performance. We sung it earlier here. It says in 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul's saying, my faith is in Christ, not my performance. I know whom I have believed. And he's talking about Christ. And he said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep my soul until that day. He's not talking here about trusting in our performance. You know, performance-based acceptance Christians are, are hard on themselves, aren't they? You know any? They're hard on themselves, but they don't stop there. <laughs> They're hard on others too, aren't they? <laughs> and, and, and they can be pharisaical, and they can be judgmental, and they can be uh, picking people apart, and we have got to be careful with this performance-based acceptance thing. The truth of the matter is, God's acceptance of you is unconditional. I've got a verse for you. Ephesians 1, 6 says, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We don't make ourselves accepted in the beloved. And just revel in and rejoice in that for a while. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Thank God for that. So salvation is not by good works, but true salvation causes good works. Out of this, this heart of gratitude, out of the, the Holy Spirit now living inside of us, we want to do something for God. Out, out, of, out of a heart of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, we want to do something for God. So we don't believe that, that repentance is turning from every sin in order to be saved. That's impossible, isn't it? Uh, you, you would have missed one. No doubt you'd have missed a bunch. And so you go, well, I've got I to cover every base here. I've got to make sure I, I got every sin repentant. It's impossible. Repentance is simply a change of mind about our sin. It's a change of attitude about our sin. It comes from the Greek word metanoio. Meta means change, plain and simple. Uh, we get our word metamorphosis from it. And a, a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's a metamorphosis. It's a change. Well, meta means change. Noio, or, or, or the word noio, means knowledge thinking, the way we think, uh, our attitude. And, and metanoio together just simply means a change of attitude, a change of mind. We have changed our mind about our sin, the fact it's an offense to God, the fact that we are, are living in disobedience toward God. We change our mind about that. It's not some flippant thing where you just make a profession of faith with no regard whatsoever how God feels about the way you plan on living for the rest of your life in, in flagrant defiance. No, it's a change of mind. We read this over in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, Well, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Let's talk about the fellow who thinks he's saved, and he's not. And he's living an ungodly life and has no, no regard for what God thinks of it afterwards. And, and in flagrant defiance, he's just doing his own thing. And, and he never meant business when he called upon the Lord and asked him to save him. And now he's not keeping his commandments. And this isn't to get saved, but it's, it's something that should be evident after we've gotten saved. And it says, He that saith and know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. That's strong language. 
and the truth is not in him. Now, somebody would say, okay, isn't it just the sin of unbelief that we need to repent of? Have you ever heard that? We just need to repent of our, our unbelief, the sin of unbelief. That unbelief is what condemns us. Well, that's part of it. I won't deny that. But that's not the whole story. Let me kind of connect the dots here. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Now, who's this man that's talking about here? Talking about Adam. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. What was his sin? Unbelief? No, he believed in God. What was his sin? Unbelief? No, he walked with God every day. He saw God. He knew God. His sin was disobedience, right? Disobedience. Disobedience. In Colossians 3, and we won't turn there, and also Ephesians 5, it talks about things like fornication, sex outside of marriage, or adultery, sex within marriage to somebody else you're not married to, or uncleanness. It speaks of filthiness. It speaks of idolatry. And it says in Colossians 3, 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. That wrath it's talking about there is hell going out into Christless eternity. And it says, for which thing's sake? What, what thing's sake? Unbelief? No. The sin. The stuff that, that people are doing. For which thing's sake? Hell comes upon them. In, in Revelation 20, it mentions that the, the unsaved are going to be judged according to their works or their sin. Not their unbelief, but according to their sin. According to their works. There's more to it than just unbelief. We read this in Revelation 2.22. Behold, I cast her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Now, he's actually talking to what I think is an unsaved church member here and some others within that church that aren't saved and mentioning uh, that he's going to cast them into great tribulation, except they repent of their unbelief, or not unbelief, but their deeds, not unbelief. So he mentions their, their deeds. So it's more than just repenting of your unbelief. Again, the devils believe and tremble. They believe. But it's more than just unbelief. It really involves a turning. That's what repentance is. A turning of the mind, a turning of the heart, a turning of the life, the attitude, the spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and in verse 30, it says, Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Notice, repent and turn yourselves from unbelief. No, all your transgressions, your sins. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Again, it's a turning. It's a turning. Keep that in mind. Jesus Christ actually defined it really well for us. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41, he said, the men of Nineveh, repented, there's our word, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. You remember the story back there in the book of Jonah of him going into Nineveh and saying, repent or perish, judgment's coming to this town, and the people actually repented. They changed their mind. They put on sackcloth. I think it's the greatest revival ever. And Christ defines repentance through that story by saying, the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of of Jonah. There was a turning. There was a change of mind. There was a metanoia. There was a, a desire and a, a decision 
to obedience and to submission. That's what repentance is. It's, a, it's an obedience. It is a submission. Now, only God can bring it about. And it's very important that we know that. I, I look back to when I got saved, and, and I didn't understand at the time. I didn't know what was going on, but God was working in my heart and, 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 and giving me this, I, I don't, I don't want to live like this. And I want to please God. And only God can do that. We sometimes think that it's us, but only God can reveal that. Now, I have noticed that as He brings us to that place in our lives, that quite often there's, let's call it an issue. There, there are a number, of course, we got all kinds of things, but there's an issue. There, there's, there's perhaps a thing that the Lord brings to our mind, and it might be that last roadblock or that, that last bridge. Or you know, I'm not saying you have to get everything straight, but I've noticed even biblically there's a, a barometer, there's a determination of where the heart is at, and, and there's that final idol that has to come down. Have you noticed that? And it really varies in the Bible. We find in John chapter 4, for example, Jesus Christ dealing with the woman at the well. And he didn't get on, on, on booze or he didn't get on, on stealing, or he, but he did bring up her immorality, didn't he? And that was her idol. And he knew right where to go and he could have just bypassed the rest. And he exposed that and, and the light came on for her. You know, I'll never forget um, leading somebody in this church, the Lord, many, many years ago. And they were in an illicit relationship living with the opposite sex at that time. And, and when we came right down to them getting saved, I didn't have to say it. They said it. They said, I need to go home and move out. But let's, let's get this settled. I want to get saved. I mean, they knew what the idol was in their lives. You know, we could talk about the rich young ruler. He said, all these commandments have I kept from my youth up. Well, he, he was really self-deceived. He was delusional. But, but on top of that, he was covetous, wasn't he? He was materialistic. And Christ knew the nerve to hit with him. Here's his idol, materialism. Go sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and come and follow me. That was his roadblock. He went away sad. And Christ didn't run after him and, and tackle him and say, okay, just pray the prayer and, and we'll call it good. No, he let him go. He let him go. The guy wasn't ready. We could talk about Nicodemus. What was his idol? Well, he, he has a fear of man. And that was partially my problem. He also had a false religion, didn't he? That was my problem. And that was the idol with him that had to be dealt with. That was the idol with me that had to be dealt with because I've said before, it tied in with my family. We were very close. And it was a very cultural thing in our home. And so I knew it, it went with the whole package. I knew the price I was going to pay. And, and so that other stuff, the vice and whatever, is like, <laughs> who cares? I had this issue to deal with. It was the thing I had to deal with. But we could talk about Zacchaeus and the fact uh, he was covetous, he was greedy, he was a thief, <laughs> he was stealing. But that's what he came to grips with. He said, I'll give it all back. I'll, I'll give more than back, you know. And, and he, he repented. What was it with you? What was it with me? I know this, uh, Schofield, it was alcohol. And, and as he was getting led to Christ, he goes, I, I can't get saved. I, I have this. And, and the guy wisely said, God will give you victory over it if you want victory over it. And, and, and we have to be careful not to say, well, you have to stop doing this and stop doing that. And, and remind people, if they really want to get victory, the grace will be there. And it was. It was. So really, it, it boils down to a submission. Now, let me just close with this. Have you had a, such a time in your life? When you realize you're a lost, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, 
Your sins were an offense to God. You could not save yourself. You didn't want to offend God anymore with your sin. And you had a change of heart or a change of mind about your sin. And a change in, a heart, in, in your heart about how to be saved. It's not by your good works, not by joining a church, not by taking communion. It's by placing all your trust and all your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. And you called upon the Lord, and you were saved. I hope you've had such a time. We'll pick up with the subject of repentance next time. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.